Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having an amazing day so far. I am extremely grateful and excited to be introducing this week's amazing guest, my brother, Mr. Jason Gaddis. So a little bit about Jason, and I'm going to talk about the topic of this week's conversation because it was one of the most powerful conversations I think I've had in a very long time. So Jason is the founder of The Relationship School and author of the new book, Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationships. He's coached thousands of people through The Relationship School, and he's really mastered the art of creating indestructible relationships by showing people how to become skilled at navigating challenges and friction. And Jason's really here to show us that we don't have to run away from the uncomfortable conversations. When you have the tools and the personal commitment, you can use conflict to strengthen your relationship, to deepen your connection with yourself, and allow you and your partner or anybody you're having conflict with to grow together. And I've traditionally never really been good at handling conflict in my life. Like I didn't have it modeled well by my parents. You know, I didn't really know how to do it in my last relationships. I tend to either shy away from conflict or try not to ruffle the boat too much. And that's led to a lot of relationships going south, a lot of fights, a lot of burn bridges, and me not really knowing how to be in all of it. And so this conversation was really healing for me just to hear that, you know, one, it wasn't my fault. You know, we're just not taught some of this stuff. And honestly, I wish we could teach this stuff in schools so that kids can learn how to have healthy relationships from the get-go. But with the right tools, with the right mindset, with the right awareness around how to navigate conflict, we can really lean into triggering conversations, triggering debates, triggering differences of opinion with with more love and compassion, which can lead to healing, deeper connection, and just more expression and more safety. And at the core of it, I think that's what we're all really seeking in our lives, just more safety to know that like, hey, if I have this conversation with you, doesn't mean that we're going to break up or doesn't mean that I don't like you. It's just, this is how I'm feeling. And this is, and, and, and my needs are not being met. And it's just this tense back and forth. I just appreciated this conversation so much. I mean, Jason's new book, Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationships is amazing. I'm going through it right now and really going through uh, rereading some of the chapters right now. I mean, it's it's so good because he focuses on so many tactics to help you stay grounded inside of conflict, to help your partner stay grounded inside of conflict, to hold the space in the container. I mean, He's just such a G. I, I, Jason is truly an expert in the field of conflict management. He's extensively practiced and studied, and he, he leans into the science, and most importantly, he does the work in his own life. And so to me, that's what makes him such an expert on the topic and someone that I trust dearly to help me learn more about conflict management and also all of you to learn as well. So, you know, we talk about a lot of things and everything from the power of taking a pause to how to go into neutrality to how to create a safe space. I mean, and so much more. So I hope you guys enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribe to us on iTunes, all that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. I will be tagging Jason on social and sharing my own thoughts about the episode on social. So feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and anything that may have resonated with you. And definitely check out Jason's new book. It's on pre-order right now. We have links in the show notes, and I believe you can also pre-order it on Amazon. It's called Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Your Conflict, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationships with Jason Gaddis. So I love this conversation. I'm so grateful that I get to share it with you guys. I'm just excited for all of us to continue growing and, and taking some of the wisdom here and applying it in our lives so that we can have deeper, more fulfilling, connected relationships with the people we love. So Anyways, without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Jason Gaddis. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope 
you're all having a brilliant day so far. Oh my God, am I happy to see you, Jason. Welcome back to the show, brother. Thanks, man. Really good to be here. Awesome to see you. Yeah, and uh, incredible timing. I was just telling you earlier how relationships and conflict and my own ability to stay grounded inside of triggers has, I've grown a lot over the year, but I mean, I'm nowhere near being where I want to be. And so when I saw us having this interview scheduled today, I was like, yes, (laughs) get to talk to Jason. (laughs) You know, it's not something that we teach in schools. It's like interpersonal Mm -hmm. conflict is just something that I have no skills in, I guess, no credentials in. It's just something that I've had to learn more as I've grown. So one thing I would love to start with is why is it so difficult to be in a state of conflict with another? Like, I guess, like, why are we so bad at it? Yeah, that's a really actually important question. Well, we're social mammals and we're wired to connect and belong. And when anything threatens the connection or the belonging sense, we we get upset. And we're usually upset by someone coming to in our space or someone pulling away or leaving us. That's very threatening to us in general, especially the higher the stakes get in a relationship, the more threatening those kind of moves get to our nervous system. In addition, we just, like you said, we don't learn how to deal with that kind of activation. We just, there's no class. We just kind of get the download we got from the big people in our home environment. And you're often taught to just apologize and kind of suck it up and move on and get over it. And we know now through lots of experience, but also science that that doesn't work. I think what I struggle with the most is the, I think you said earlier, like I apologize before I need to. Yeah. Let's say I'm triggering my my parents or my partner. It's always a like I feel really guilty and a lot and I feel really bad that I'm hurting them for naming my needs, which then creates this weird energy where I, I feel really scared to name my needs because I'm afraid of triggering them more or getting into that space. And it's just this uncomfortable feeling. Just when you're in those types of experiences, how do you how do you hold the space for your own experience, their own experience, and then like the collective couple's experience? I know. It's a lot, right? It's a lot, yeah. If you're self-aware enough to know what you're saying, which is, gosh, I I tend to apologize too fast, and maybe that's maybe I could learn something there. That's first of all, that is fucking huge. Like most people, just kind of want to run their game or their trip in conflict, and then they keep getting the same results. So, thank God you're asking the question. (laughs) Could I, hmm, could I do something different here? And yeah, I actually write about this in my book that I call it the rushed apology. It's um, sort of a default just mechanism we learned maybe in childhood or something. And it, it kind of worked back then where it's like, hey, sorry, oops, sorry, my bad. And when we bump into someone in the grocery store or whatever, that that's appropriate. But in a higher stakes argument, usually a, an apology is not enough to let down the nervous system. So we've got to, first of all, see that, be aware of it, and know, start to begin to learn what works for our partner or family member, what settles them when mm. I hurt them and when they're upset. What is the thing that I could do that would be helpful to them? Knowing that it's not necessarily my job to make it okay. And if I care about them, why not try to help out? So that could be just not having such a voice tone. It could be moving closer. It could be moving back. It could be just breathing into my discomfort and breathing through that and allowing the person to have their feelings and their upset. And and that's really important is to the other person gets to be upset and they get to have their feelings, you know. In your book, you talked about the scared animal. That's really what you're referring to, right? That that reactive sort of part of us. I have one too. The person I'm having conflict with might have one. And when they're not feeling safe, that scared animal shows up. Can you just, can you elaborate on that concept a little bit just so anyone listening can have some context? Yeah, for sure. So I like to think that I have a scared animal living inside of me because I am a social mammal. I do feel threatened by things in life, whether it's the news or my partner and a look on her face or a text I got from a friend. Like sometimes my scared animal just like gets a little jacked up and I get a little like upset about that, right? Triggered is another way to think about it. I need to know how to calm that scared animal and help it out. And then if I'm with you and I know you have a scared animal living inside of you because you do, again, it can be really helpful if I know the kinds of things that help your scared animal relax and take your porcupine quills. And it's like, Hey, you know, there's no need to be like 
all jacked up right now with quills outward. I'm, I'm actually not the enemy here, but we've got to learn. Like, how do I regulate myself and how do I help you get regulated? What are your thoughts on taking space when you're in that triggered state versus actually going into it when you're triggered? I've kind of heard arguments on both sides. Like I've heard that when you're triggered, it's useful to actually be aware of what's happening in the moment because it's the richest data set. But on the other end, it's also really damaging if you're reactive and not like, so do you have any, I guess, best practices or thoughts around stepping away from a conflict and taking the space and time to process it and then coming back versus actually developing the tools and like some of the awarenesses that you're bringing into this conversation right now to just be in it right in the moment? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good tool in our tool belt, in our arsenal that we have to employ sometimes, which is just one of us or both of us can hit the pause button, I call it. And I like the word pause because that means we're going to resume again. Because if we just hit time out or stop, for some nervous systems, that's very threatening. Like you're not ever coming back. That can be scary. So pause is like, hey, we're going to pause for a second. And we'll come back in five minutes or an hour or tomorrow morning and let's finish this. I'm too heated. You're too heated. That can be extremely helpful. And it's actually more efficient. My wife and I have learned to try to stay in it if we can, and sometimes we can't, and to help each other out in the moment to, to try to get to a more regulated place. Um, I call it getting to zero. Like we're, we're going to try to come back to zero, which is like the baseline of we feel good again. Because let's say we're at a five or a six or a seven on a zero to 10 scale. We want to take that number down as low as we can. And if I can behave in a way that's calming to her nervous system, it actually is more efficient than her going and calming herself down. Because um, body to body is, is extremely powerful to reset a nervous system. It's slower on our own, but we can still do it. So it's really important to have both options. Can we calm this? Can we get to a relaxed, better place together? If not, one or both of us should maybe take a little space and let's come back when we're a little more centered. So I guess the what I'm hearing, and this is brilliant, actually. So when you're in the midst of a conflict, the goal necessarily is not to find the resolution, but it, it is more to just get us to a more regulated state, to so that zero, zero. That may include a resolution, but the resolution can always happen at a later date. But the ultimate thing is to help us both feel safe. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you got it. And let's say you and I are in an argument and it's nine o'clock at night and I get really tired at nine and I just can't communicate very well after nine o'clock. And you're like more of a night owl. And you're like, come on, let's stay up and talk about it. Let's work this out. I'm upset about this. And I'm like, dude, I'm done. It's probably best for us to just hit a pause on that. And let's say we're at a three, both of us, or I'm a three and you're a four or something like that. It's fine to hit the pause button and bring it back around in the morning. And you know, time can actually calm down us, calm us down a little bit. I can get some perspective in the morning. I can go on a walk and meditate and do the things so that I can come to you and a little more coherent. And what I'm coming to you with though, is, is not my story of how you wronged me, but how I hurt you. And I'm going to come back with some ownership and some empathy. And that's going to be extremely regulating to you. You're going to be like, Ooh, thanks dude. Cause I owned that. I did the mean thing. I said the hurtful thing and that's going to help you relax a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that ownership piece is something that that for me personally, like I I feel like I I struggle with taking full ownership for something while also standing powerfully like in my truth. Yeah. In a conversation like it's like there's always stuff I can own, there's always stuff I can be better at, there's always things I can improve with, and there are times where I do feel like you know actually like me owning this just to help your nervous system might actually not be truthful. And so how do you navigate those, I guess, differences with like wanting to regulate versus also feeling like, hey, there's actually some truth here. How do you do that in a compassionate and soft and loving and nurturing way? Yeah, without kind of giving yourself away or doing too much responsibility where it starts to become like maybe self-blame or yeah. being hard on myself and like taking it for the team. Oh, yeah, taking it for the team. That That's the thing. It's like you like I've done this traditionally in the past where I'll just harbor resentment. Mm hmm. And then it'll build up yeah. and I'm starting to practice more like, no, like this is actually how I feel and it's valid and giving my own, you call it a scared animal. Like I kind of call it like my inner child, like the younger Raj that's just activated right now. Like his feelings are valid and I care a lot about you. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I liked what you just said right there. That was great. I would, I would do that. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Seriously. And other things we can do is because I hear people that tend to that are listening to that tend to overtake responsibility and then feel bad or something. Oh yeah, it's me again or whatever. It always takes two in a conflict, and people that tend to do that generally partner with people who undertake responsibility. They they don't take very much responsibility. So it kind of fits. I'll own it and you don't, and it kind of works. But really what you want is mutuality. You want a, a principle that I call mutuality where it's, I own my part, you own your part. And together that helps us both relax because we both have a part. We're not in a fantasy that it's all my problem. It's just really important to, there's deep strength in being able to say, yeah, I was an ass there. I did that thing to you and that sucked. That's very, I think, strengthening. And like you said, if I if I overdo it and I'm starting to own stuff that I maybe didn't do or they're judging me for, and I'm like, sure, I'll own that, but even though I didn't really do it or I disagree, I'm going into resentment, which actually is feedback that you went too far. Yeah. So resentment's like on your side in, in a way. Wow, that's super, that's actually really interesting. So it's all, they're all data points in some ways, like, do you have a practice of like reflecting on conflict with your partner, I guess, afterwards? Let's say you and your wife are having an argument. Like, can you walk us through like the moment of trigger to, I guess, like the end, like the ideal end scenario might look like, I guess, the process for it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so two nights ago, we got in a, a little bit of a snag in the morning. It was not really like a big argument, but it was enough to get us both triggered and a little activated, you know, like a four or something. Not major, but enough to just felt crunchy. And then so we spend the whole day disconnected, right? And about halfway through the day, I'm seeing an opportunity. I'm, I've reflected on my part. And I know what works for my wife is empathy. If I can empathize with her experience and her feelings without going into trying to fix her or my story or what I didn't do in defensiveness, if I can just empathize, that is a massive move for me to do. And I'm still working on this one. So halfway through the day, she's leaving on an errand and I catch her before she goes out the door. And I say, hey, I just want to say I kind of did that thing this morning. And I'm, I'm seeing that it really impacted you. I saw your face change. I saw what happened there. And then she starts opening up. Yeah. And then this happened and then that happened. And then I just empathize. I go, yep, totally. That makes a lot of sense. I validate her feelings. And so she doesn't feel crazy. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. That's an easy way to validate. That makes sense. And it made sense to me why she would feel that way. So that's working. And then that later that night, we still had more to go. We weren't completely at zero yet. And she didn't offer me anything. She's walking out the door, but I'm doing my part, right? I'm just, well, that night she withdrew a little bit from me in my perception. Now she was just tired and she was in her own space, but I interpreted her face as, upset with me because I can misread her face sometimes as she's upset with me when she's actually not. Yeah. So I fucked up here and I was like, what's wrong? You you know, what's wrong with you basically? <laughs> and I start kind of judging her and the state she's in. And she just starts feeling kind of on the defensive and on the attack, like I'm attacking her or something. And I'm like getting really irritated that she's not coming around to like validate my feelings. And anyway, it turned into this longer process, but Later that night, we finally got there when I, I could again go, okay, I, I fucked up again there because I came in with a complaint instead of empathy. <laughs> so I, I did well at like lunchtime. In the evening, I was, I was for some reason kind of fed up and I came in with a complaint and that made it worse. I think one of the things I'm really taking away from this is, you know, especially when you're in conflict, like really rooting yourself in, in the feeling of love, like at the core of it, like you love this person, even if you're disagreeing with them. Yeah. And I, if I can show that with my body language and my voice, it's going to go a long way. Yeah. Because you can't really fake that, right? It doesn't feel good to when someone's like, I'm listening and they're kind of irritated. It's like, eh. Yeah. It doesn't feel no. safe again, right? I'm like on edge now. A core idea is empathy. Like I'm hearing empathy is like a core way to create that feeling of safety. I know you have a few more ideas in your book. Like, can you extrapolate on maybe a few more strategies for sort of creating that safe space? Yeah. Reassurance is a big one. So one tool you can use is you can ask each other as partners or friends, like, 
When you were a kid, what would you have liked to have heard when a conflict happened between you and an adult that you never heard or didn't get to hear? What would have felt really good to your body and your heart, your nervous system to that little kid? You know, what would have felt really good to me was, hey, I'm here. I love you. I care. I'm not going anywhere. Something like that, let's say. And so then you you actually say that to your partner in an upsetting moment. You say the thing that they would have liked to have heard as a kid. And you learn each other's reassuring statements. And you can, after, you know, this is often not during a conflict because we're usually too heated. But as soon as you can, especially to the person that needs to, that has a fear of abandonment or fear of rejection or being left, that person needs to be reassured that you're not going anywhere. Yeah. That's me, man. I, I feel that one hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I feel that one too. That's, that's kind of one of my injuries in the past is people left, you know? So it feels really good when someone's like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm here. Even though I'm upset with you, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Another tool we can use, I call it Lufu. I listen until the other person feels understood. There's eight steps, but I don't need to go through them all. But the basic idea is I don't understand you until you let me know that you feel understood. Understanding, if, if I can just get the content of what you're upset about and reflect it back to you and be like, am I getting it? Is this it? Is it like this? If you go, no, it's not quite that. It's more like this. And I finally get it. The nervous system will let down a notch and it feels really good, right? I feel seen and known in my experience. That's what I care about. I don't care. It's not about right and wrong. We've got to get out of the right and wrong mentality and keeping score. It's just about... Do you feel understood by me? Mm. And then again, we can, we can validate and empathize with their experience, which is hard to do when we're upset. <laughs> right. The, the right and wrong is like understanding is done at a feeling level. I feel like yeah. it's like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really done at a feeling level. Like I get you. I'm, I feel where you're at versus like right or wrong is like the mental ping pong back and forth where our, our egos are just battling for the gold trophy when there are no winners in this game. How do you retrain yourself to sort of shift away from needing to be right? One of the first things you can do if you're the, a defensive person or an, a right-wrong person, I think the very first thing to do to change that behavior is to start owning it out loud that you're doing that. So, honey, oh, my God, I'm doing that thing in my head again where I want to be right. Or, oh, I can feel myself getting really defensive over here. I'm not going to act that out but I can feel it coming on and I can feel myself being defensive in my head just so you know that's where I'm at. And that's a whole lot better than actually being defensive and defending yourself. It's just like one step before you actually do it, right? So it slows the process down. You bring awareness into, you shed some light in that area because then you start having choice. Do I want to get defensive? Do I want to follow through and try to be right right now? You're slowing it down, right? That's mindfulness at its, at its absolute core and practice, right? Like you're creating space between the response, which allows choice. Mindfulness in general, when it comes to self-regulation, when it comes to handling conflict, like how do you one implement or infuse mindfulness into your relational life? And, and how can one sort of develop the skill through mindfulness practices? I know you have a few meditations in the book. By the way, I just want to say like the few chapters I've read of the book so far are phenomenal. I really appreciate not just the breakdown of like, I, I love that you had even a chapter for like the other person's like how to be in your, in a conflict, how to be in your own triggers and then how to hold space for the other person's triggers. And like, it was just so brilliantly broken out. And so I just loved, and the fact you had tools and, and personal practice for all this is just brilliant. So I just want to one, give you kudos for that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, I like to keep things street level, you know, and I get a little nerdy with the science, but I, I try to make it street level. So back to the mindfulness question. So there's two things with mindfulness for me and coming as a former like hardcore Buddhist meditator, I was in a Buddhist community meditating for five years and that's where I learned mindfulness and, and meditation. And it honestly, the biggest takeaway of that experience for me was learning how to be with my, my discomfort, painful emotions or experiences. And that was, that's, I think, an invaluable life skill. Back to the life skill category that should be taught yeah. in school. Oh my God. But there's self-reflection and self-regulation. So a self-regulation practice that's mindful, that's a mindfulness practice is in the book, it's called the Nestor Meditation. And it's a very simple acronym that's your, the metaphor is a nest. 
you're holding your experience, the, the experience, your experience is an egg or your pain or your triggers or whatever in your body is the egg and you and your awareness is the, uh, the nest. So then N is number. You just pick a number zero to 10. How triggered are you? E is emotion. Just name an emotion. S is sensation, hot, cold, low back, hurt, knee ache, whatever it is, tingling in my belly, tense in my chest. And then T is thought. What am I thinking about? The content of my mind chatter. And then R is where's a resource? Where do I just feel okay and good in my body? That's a simple process. When you're triggered, you can just sit down and go through that acronym and get some self-awareness. And then you can actually share that with the other person so they know what's going on with you. So that's on the self-regulation side. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have boundaries with communicating like the reasons why you're getting triggered with your partner? Like, is there an element of you doing the work on your own versus like including your partner in your relational work? Like, like I guess, how do you balance, you know, stuff that that's clearly yours to deal with and it's showing up in relationship versus something that your partner can actually lean into helping you heal? Totally. That's a really good question. It's kind of back to what I was saying earlier about we can be a little more efficient if we're a team. So let's take those two examples. If we have the kind of you go to your corner of the house and I go to the, my corner of the house and work it out our, our, on our own, I don't get to learn about you and know about you. And if you just come back all good and I don't actually know what you, why this got triggered in the first place and I don't learn about you, I can't, it's harder to be empathic and it's harder to know what I could do differently next time to help you out. So if you start unpacking, on the other hand, you're, hey, you know what? This triggered a bunch of my dad's stuff, or I'm afraid that you're going to leave me because the last relationship I was in, the person left me and I got my heart broken. Oh, right. We're dealing with that. That's in the space here. Then it's like, thank you. Like, I want to know you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what makes you upset. I want to know what helps you get back to a good place. And I want to learn about you, man. I want to know what kind of family you come from. I, I'm so interested in that because it helps me understand you, you know? So I, I think I'm a big advocate for let's educate each other on how we got this way, where we come from and what helps us. I think it's enormous. And then we can start to act and behave like a team together. How about people who are in relationships that don't feel like they know what their needs are? Yeah, most people don't. And then when you ask them what their needs are, they they might come out with a laundry list or a very, very chaotic list of things they need, and it could be off-putting. But here's four needs that I've identified that come from uh, interpersonal neurobiology land with Dan Siegel. They're really easy to remember. There are four S's, and I think it creates secure attachment, not only in parent-child dynamics, but in adult relationships. Yeah. So four basic needs that most needs can fit into these four categories. We need to feel emotionally safe. We need to feel seen and known and understood by the other person. We need to feel soothed when we're upset, which just means after a conflict, the person comes back around and tries to help make it better. And then we feel supported and challenged, which means I believe in you. I've got your back. And I'm also going to challenge you to be your best. So those four S's are, I think, fundamental human needs if we want secure relationships. That's brilliant. The last one is really, really, really powerful. I'm realizing that 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 last piece is where I think I get into a lot of trickiness, where I'm like pushing the other person to be better or just loving them as they are. Uh huh. That's something that you kind of fall into that trap of, how do I help you feel emotionally safe and want you to be better? Exactly. This is a cool conversation in the personal growth space. I'm curious what you would think about it too. Self-acceptance and self-mastery. You know, because self-acceptance implies like, oh, I'm just cool as I am. Yeah. But a lot of us entrepreneurial types like you and I are into self-mastery. We want to like go to the next place. We want to master the next challenge. We want to like learn even more about ourselves, right? And it can feel like we're not accepting ourselves. Yeah. But I think both are possible. And self-acceptance actually helps me go, I accept that this is where I'm at. And it feels, it feels limited in terms of where I want to be. So I want to set some goals to going to the next place financially or relationally or whatever. So I, I think both can, there's room for both. I want to, I'll say something on that. And then I have another question. I think for me personally, self-love is at the intersection of I am enough and I can be better. You know, especially when I think about going to the gym or getting in shape, I think that's the best example. 
you can go to the gym and try getting crazy shape, losing all the weight, and then create a really unhealthy relationship with your body because you're actually just not ever feeling like it's enough. Yeah, you're so like that's, never enough. Right, totally. that's one end of the spectrum. Yeah. But then on the other end, if you're eating Twinkies all day and you're not exercising and you're being unhealthy and you're letting yourself lose yourself, that's also an element of lack of self-love because it's just you're not you're not respecting the body, treating it like the temple it is. Like there's a, a lack, of, there's a disconnection. Yeah, completely. So I, I think for me, for me, it's been being just self-aware of where I'm at on the totem pole at any given moment in time. Like there'll be seasons of life where I'm just really pushing. And then there's other seasons of life where I have to like contract versus expand. Yeah. And I think both have a enormous level of growth. Learning to slow down and be still when I've been moving so fast is a lot of growth. Yeah. Right. quieting the the board you know like the in the like those feelings i don't want to sit with that i'm just going and doing more work for like yeah being busy and stuff right yeah. so i think there's a, an enormous level of growth there and then on the other end when i'm being too stagnant too still not creating enough i think there's the other end which is all right let's go let's push ourselves let's put something out there let's let's see what you're made of yeah yeah i like that nice and then you bring that what you're saying into a partnership and it's like how can we enroll a partner or a business partner, or an intimate partner, or a close, close friend, into that journey and say, hey, I don't want to be stagnant, but I want to accept myself, but I want to keep pushing myself in areas where I want to grow too. Will you support and challenge me in that journey? Yeah. And that's, and that's an invitation. Yeah. That's the beautiful piece of that. Like you can invite anybody. Like I can invite my dad, I can invite my girlfriend, I can invite my mom, I can invite my business partner. Like that's an invitation to create the type of, and I think that's an important piece of relationships is really being, and I think naming those needs, like if this is something that's important to you, it's it's having the courage to name the need. I think that's been a big piece for me. It's like the courage of naming the need because it's so, that's actually another part of self-love for me. It's like my own emotional safety is so important that even if it risks me getting abandoned and rejected, I have to name it. Right on. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and you might experience conflict, right? And so you, you're saying I'm willing to go into conflict because I'm not willing to leave myself behind. Yeah. When you're sitting in a conflict and you feel your partner step into a disempowering state. Like they shut down or what do you mean? No, not disempowered. More like, like maybe they go into a, a victim mode. Okay. Let's just say they go into a space where they're being pouty at the world or they're really mad or you know, and, and you know that we share the same value of growth and the other ones which are being emotionally safe, seen, loved. From this conversation, I'm learning like maybe the first step is to just help them feel safe. That's the goal, the primary goal. Like when they're in that, that victim mode, it's just help do whatever's necessary to help them feel safe. And then when they feel safe, then empower them to get out of it. I feel like I've run into trouble in my past, in my current relationship and my past ones where, you know, there'll be this this feeling of like, just, I don't want to say maybe poutiness, maybe victim like mindset, maybe some level of language around like just a poor me. Yeah. And then I get into this, like, kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, you're amazing. You're, you're this, you're that. Like, why are you talking to yourself that way? Like there's this other side that comes out and sometimes that's not very helpful in the moment. That's my experience. Most times it's not helpful. And so I guess just your thoughts on, on how to navigate that those specific experiences. Yeah. So again, you, let's say you and I are out on a bike trip or something and we want to really push ourselves and I get into that victim kind of place for whatever reason, I want you probably, and I want to I'll say this to you ahead of time. I want you to challenge me to like snap out of it kind of in a way. So bro to bro or something, when we're out doing something like that, that might be an appropriate move to challenge me and like, dude, come on, man. Like you're kind of just, your head is low. Like you're so much better than this. Like step up. Come on, man. I might want or need that kind of challenge with an intimate partner. That's usually going to backfire. So if we just take a different context, now we're in intimate partners. Most people in my experience want to be seen and understood first in their experience. And that means, yep, it validated. It makes total sense that you're in this place that you're like, woe is me. I get it because this, that, and the other thing happened. This is an injury of yours from the past too. Totally, honey, I'm right there with you. Ooh, that's a lot. Yep, I'm here with you. And like, either I can feel the part of me that's like, come on, snap out of it, right? You're amazing or whatever, but I don't say that. 
unless we've agreed upon that, hey, those reminders help me. Yeah. Like that's what she wants. Fine. You know, but first it's see, understand, validate. Dude, this is just so valuable. This, this conversation, because it, I think as a, as a, as a male that, that likes to fix things as a, as a guy who likes to roll his sleeves up and make everyone around him feel happy and loved. And I want to remove suffering and snipe stuff out, you know, like I'm like very targeted and surgical in that. And, and it's, and it's making this really making me realize that there's a softer, more effective way to actually dissolve conflict instead of me sniping it out. Like it's not about sniping out the problem. It could just be about allowing it to dissipate and dissolve by its, by, by love and by like yeah. just holding the safe space. By presence. Yeah. 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 Cause, cause again, that's probably what she needs more of from you. And I, I you're onto yourself, man. This is huge. I call it no fracking and it's an acronym, another acronym. Cause I love acronyms. It's no fixing, no rescuing, no advice giving, no complaining or colluding with their bullshit or no killing their experience. And so, it's just a fun kind of acronym to remember, easy to remember. Like, don't frack on your partner and instead listen until they feel understood, validate them, be with their experience, like relax. There's nothing, no problem here. They're just upset. And can you trust they'll find their way, which can also be hard for us. Like, ooh, can I actually trust that they're going to get out of this place? <laughs> That's a big piece, I think, for me, like, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who resonate with just the reason why I feel like I have to go in and fix is because there's that lack of trust. And when I feel my partner have that lack of trust for me, it actually doesn't make me feel good. So how do you cultivate more trust, I guess, in, in inside of a relationship? I, I think one of the things I, I, struggle, I have struggled with a lot in the past and still do to this day, like is trusting that the other person is having the experience that they need to have. It's like, instead of trying to control their journey, like trust that they're actually exactly where they need to be. And so that I don't have to be in fixed mode. I can just be in love mode. Like, how do you actually cultivate that trust? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, I would say a lot of that comes from our own journey. Can we, can we trust that our own mistakes in life and the ways we've fallen down and struggled and been in the victim seat were the necessary pain that we had to experience that then catapulted us into transformation or action, right? Yeah. If we keep cutting people off, uh, to me, it's like we're cutting people's legs out from under them when we don't trust their journey and their pain. Like people sometimes need to hit their face flat on the ground for them to wake up and get the lesson. And I don't want to rob people of the lessons that they need to learn, right? It's easy for me to say, but it's hardest with the people we care most about, like my kids and my wife. Can I trust their failures are right on time and they're good for their development versus rescuing them from hitting their face on the cement and like going, Oh shit. Can I just, cause it's painful for me to watch. Right. It, I guess if you think, would I rather cut their legs out from under them and rob them of this growth opportunity? Or would I rather trust the inherent dignity of their human spirit that they can do this? They've got this. And I think just thinking about it that way, I think we, we can, it can help us flex that trusting muscle. I think that you just said it. It's trusting the dignity of their human spirit. That's a beautifully stated sentence that has a lot of depth to it. Like when we can really truly see the soul behind the person. And remember that that soul is so much bigger than any one thing that they're dealing with. I mean, it's that's a really grounding reminder that every soul is here to have their own unique journey and they're going to have their own unique set of challenges. And yeah. And my own perception of those challenges is my perception of them. And if there's yep. a trigger in there, that's my work. And owning that, right? That's the personal responsibility piece that you mentioned earlier around really owning our part in all of this. Like in conflict, it is truly coming back to that that radical level of like personal leadership and personal yep. personal responsibility. With this dynamic in, in you... Can I, again, slow down the frames enough to just say, even, honey, I'm wanting to fix this for you. I'm wanting to swoop in and make it better. And I'm not going to because of what we agreed upon, because I'm practicing trusting your path and your journey. And it's hard for me, but but I here I am, I'm practicing right now. I think that's a very vulnerable, transparent way of taking responsibility, like you're saying, you know, to 
to, I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And it's just another form of love, right? Like I've been really exploring the love languages recently. And I, I think I'm realizing that in addition to the five love languages, what are they like gifting, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time. And then there's another the fifth one. There's another fifth one, but yeah, I'm realizing a sixth one is actually like trust in space. Like when, when I feel that trust, it's actually like, oh man, like that's such a, it's like a, a version of love that I think I, I craved a lot as a kid. Like I always craved my parents to just trust me mm. and to trust that I knew what I was doing for my life instead of them feeling like they needed to tell me what to do or, or I needed to go this path or take that degree or, you know, what are you doing with your life? Like that, that fear driven sort of survival based, Oh my God, I'm your parent. I just want you to do well mindset. Like, yeah. so like in an intimate relationship or when even someone else in my life is like, I just trust you. There's that implicit, like, oh my God, like I feel so, like, like you're giving me an opportunity to actually like feel my own power. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's like an unstated, yeah, it's just, it's underused, I think, at least in my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's cool to know about you. I didn't, I didn't know that. So you're, if I understand you right, you're saying you want to be trusted on your journey. You want other people to trust your decisions and choices and pace and the way you're doing it. Is that right? Right. And I, and and I and I'm realizing that's also what I get to give someone else, but it's the hardest thing when you see other people struggling, or when you see, oh my God, you can like when you're like ten thousand foot above, and you're like, I just know if I put you right here, you're gonna be fine. In my past, at least over the last few years, like I, I real I realized that that has been a a really difficult thing for for me to embody. I think uh, in yeah. theory I get it, but embodiment of it has has taken a lot of personal awareness and For sure. a lot of pause and, you know, just a lot of feelings, some uncomfortable feelings. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, that last thing you said right there is, is part of the lever that people can play with, which is when I see someone else suffer and they're in pain that I care about, I'm uncomfortable. And so sometimes we're trying to relieve our own discomfort by helping them. Mm. So if I can just be with my discomfort, I call it increasing your discomfort threshold and making it bigger, your capacity there. That's a thing. That's a lever inside of you that you can allow the person to have the space to fall down and do, do it their way. That's awesome, dude. How do you increase that emotional, what is it? What did you call it? The emotional discomfort tank or, uh, the... uh your discomfort threshold, basically. I love it's, that. It's, it's emotional discomfort threshold. Yeah. Can you unpack that and maybe give us some, some practices to build that, that to me is like, I think an ultimate cheat code, like not just in relationships, but in anything in life. Like if life comes out here and just pulls the rug out from underneath you and now you're just in pure chaos and everything's all over the place. Like, I mean, that alone is just a, a massive, powerful tool to stay grounded. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head here, which is, and, and this is back to our conversation around conflict is. Look, the, mo the reason most people suck at conflict and struggle and get divorced and separate and whatever is because they can't, they have a very low threshold for discomfort around their own triggers and the other person's triggers. That's kind of the bottom line. I mean, I've interviewed the world's kind of leading experts on conflict and relationships, and that's pretty much what we all agree upon is people just can't handle how fucking uncomfortable conflict is. So they hit, they blame themselves or the other person, and then they hit eject. I get it. It's hard. But if we can increase our capacity there, like you're saying, it's a it's an incredible life skill, too, that now I can be with pain of all kinds, physical pain when I'm working out, emotional, uh, mental challenges uh, when I'm stressed in the academic world or studying something, I can push myself harder. So, yeah, I, again, back to it's for me, it's back to mindfulness, sitting quietly and being with the pain and the discomfort I'm, that's ripping through my body. One thing we can do that a friend taught me years ago is if I'm really angry, for example, in a conflict, he's like, dude, just sit down and say, I'm angry, feel it in your body, and then take off the label anger and just feel it as sensation ripping through your body and find out if it's going to kill you. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Ooh. And I, I like went home and tried that. And I was like, it found out it's not going to kill me. It's just very fucking uncomfortable. You know, on that note, I actually just had a I've had a few, a friend of mine, she recently shared, you know, her, she was talking about her, her late husband when he was, was sick. He had a, you know, terminal, terminal illness and showing about one of the things that she did to truly increase that, that threshold was to actually grieve his death before he died. So it was like feeling that, that grief, like 
And, and I, and I realized, you know, it's, it's so fascinating. Actually earlier I, I was, I went into a meditation. I know like I went into a meditation around like feeling the worst case scenario that I've ever like, like what is the absolute worst case scenario and play that out in your head and then feel yeah. it. Nice. And allow yourself to really feel the depths of like what that is. And I think on the other side of allowing yourself to feel so deeply is true freedom. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, you have the you, have, you just have this capacity to kind of relax in the in the face of any kind of adversity, right? Yeah, and, and then it, and then allow it to move through your body and your experience, and not make any of it a problem. Yeah, and and there's a an inc- enormous amount of love that sits underneath, like when you when those feelings that you're so afraid of feeling. Yeah, like I found that like like if there's something I'm just so resisting to feeling, whether it's an idea about myself, maybe there's guilt, there's shame, maybe there's some level of insecurity that I just don't want to feel like some right. shortcoming that I just don't want to accept in myself. And when I, when I allow myself to feel it fully on the other side of it is just a, an enormous amount of whether it's gratitude or love or compassion or peace or settledness, or just, there's mm-hmm. this like a, it's a very calm sea or calm ocean underneath like a very chaotic like i resist putting myself in the ocean kind of like resistance you know yeah yeah i think that's what a lot of advanced meditator types talk about right when the the stillness down below the the storm of the mind is some kind of deep love or presence or yeah equanimity i just want to one like i just this is one of the things i love most about you man like you really are just so practiced and studied you're somebody who's doing this work in your own life and you are messing up in your own life and you are making mistakes and bringing it back. Right. And that's, what's so great. Like that's why I have a really deep level of respect and, and admiration for you and your work and, and this book, why this book right now? I think I'd love to know that you do so much stuff, right? Like you help a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but what's inspiring the book in, in this moment? Uh, a couple things. My painful past here, of course, around conflict of, of how much, how many conflicts I had in my own life from fistfights to failed relationships to just really cutoffs, relational cutoffs where I never spoke to someone again. Lots of carnage left behind in my relational life. And wanting to just imagining like my kids and if we could live in a world where the grownups knew a little bit more about how to work through their differences that'd be a pretty inspiring place to to be. And I, I think we have a lot of challenges as a species right now and as a culture. And I, this is just my contribution right now is like, look, we need help here. And I have some things I could share from my own experience that help me a lot and help other people that I've worked with. And I, yeah, I just think it's the crux of any good, solid partnership or team is conflict. Like, can we work through this? Can we actually handle adversity and diversity and differences or not? And teams and partnerships and people who can are just stronger and more effective in life. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I'm finding more and more, I go down this personal development route and this journey that like the keep it simple, stupid concept is like really, really, really starting to hit me in the head a lot these days. Like all the bells and whistles, I can go and take all the things and but it all comes down to like mastering like one or two very, very, very important skill sets. And it, it feels like in relationships, it is like, how do you handle conflict? And it's not expecting that fantasy that, oh, I will never have conflict or the honeymoon phase will exist forever. I, or it's not going into that fantasy world, but it's actually being like, okay, you know, you know what? Conflict is going to be a very real part of my life. And it's equipping yourself with the tools to just be in those experiences with as much in your arsenal so that, so that you can emerge from it and go back into that space of love. And and it's not, and it's not the fantasy. I think that's one of the things I'm just really appreciating about Mm -hmm. this conversation and you as a, as a, as a teacher is just how you are actually going straight to the foundation. Like, no, let's help people really get good at navigating conflict. Yeah. And very at the core. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a big part of our life and, and relationships are such a huge part of our life satisfaction, right? And, and it's painful to be at odds with someone for years. It feels bad in our body. It fucks up our sleep and our health. Yep. Like, it's not good for us to be on the outs with the people we care most about. So it's like, let's just learn some tools. It doesn't need to be this way. Yeah. 
And that's, that's my biggest takeaway. It doesn't need to be this way. Like that's, that's the real takeaway. Like I, I shy away from conflict a lot in my life. And, and I think it's because I haven't been given or taught the right tools to, to navigate it with more grace and love and presence and compassion and empathy. And I just feel really equipped after this conversation, man. I can't wait to actually like finish the book and implement it and go deep. Like, so pre-orders are available right now. You, I'm assuming you have a landing page or something like that that we can send our listeners to. Yeah, go to gettingtozerobook.com and you can get the first chapter while you wait and a couple of cool videos that we recorded that are about the book, parts of the book and tools you can learn immediately. And I would love it if you'd pre-order because that helps us authors because Raj and I think, that, hey, this is kind of fun and cool, but authors are you know, a dime a dozen and, and it really helps authors get their message out more and get noticed more if you buy before the book. If you're going to buy the book anyway, after October 5th, buy it now because it helps us. And also you're going to get it and you're going to get a couple little goodies anyway. I cannot wait to pour through the book, to gift it to friends and family. Cause like I said, this is, I just, I love it, man. I'm, I'm just so grateful that uh, we're buddies. I'm grateful that I get to learn. I'm, I'm grateful to have you as a teacher and somebody that I get to learn from. And it's just so, I'm just really grateful for your time and and for you just sharing your wisdom, brother. You just keep rocking it. Uh, thanks, dude. Thanks for loving me up. And yeah, I love being your friend and just a comrade on the path here. Got it. All right. One last question for you. In the midst of, let's make it more specific, in the midst of your your path in life in regards to relationships and more, how do you stay grounded? Um, family time in nature, especially, or outside with my wife and kids. And walking. Mm. Walking is very healing for me. It's so good for me to get away from my phone and my screen and just walk and be with myself. Um, I don't do it enough, but when I do, it's extreme. It's like the, the medicine I need. Mm. I love that, dude. That's great. Well, everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Jason. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.